Hello and welcome back to the extras. You've got Lachlan with you again this week. Hello Lachlan, I'm Sam. It's good to be with you everybody. Sam, thanks for coming in yet again. We've had a great time in the first few weeks of Ezekiel. That's what we're covering at the moment in the extras, what we're covering on Sundays at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I say a great time. I mean, it's been a pretty challenging time. It's yeah. not the most joyful, pleasant part of the Bible to dig into. Uh, it's, it's a very rich part though and uh, it takes some stomaching like mm. you're hearing you know Sunday we're talking about the wrath of God and that's hard that's hard work sometimes and yet there's a richness to it because it when we understand the problem uh, we understand even more beautifully God's God's glorious solution to mm. that problem which which is uh, the person and work of Jesus and uh, so yeah it's hard it's hard going but uh, good going I think. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so this past Sunday, we were looking at Ezekiel chapter 5. You had a big Sunday across yep. all of our congregations other yep. than North Rocks, all yeah. of our English-speaking congregations, I should say. Yep. Chinese church and Iranian church. I don't know if any of you guys are listening. I hope you are. Yeah. hope this is still helpful for you, even as you study different things on a Sunday. Uh, but no, you had a big Sunday across four services, Sam. Yep. Ezekiel 5. The tragic and bitter end for Jerusalem. Yeah. Why so tragic? Why so bitter? Yeah. Um, Look, it's the end of uh, Ezekiel's street theatre. He's been doing, he hasn't done a lot of speaking yet. He's done a fair bit of acting and he does one final act for the people of God in chapter five, which is to shave all his hair off, divide up into three piles and do different things to them, each of which symbolise the the tragic and bitter end that Jerusalem are going to come to under the the judgment of God. Uh, some Some will die of famine, which is a tragedy. Uh, some will die by the sword, which again is a tragedy, uh, and others will 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 be kind of lost to the to the sort of winds of history mm. as they uh, as they're just scattered and lost. Um, and uh, behind it all will be God's sovereign judgment. Um, the only little glimmer of hope is is a couple of hairs tucked away safely, um, and that is, yeah, it's it's a, it's a grim chapter um, mm. of of the, the the forthcoming wrath of God. Mm. It is. I, I just went and had my hair cut. I should have kept some of that hair and we could have reenacted it, which would go great on a podcast, right? Everyone loves a good visual as indeed. they're listening along. Yes, but indeed. I did not keep any of that hair. And you didn't shave your head on Sunday, Sam. Well, right? I had to do it four times, so I couldn't think of, I couldn't think of a way to, uh, to pull off the visual. I, I would have been up for it if I was doing a one-off. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Just a different volunteer at each service to <laughs> just called out from the congregation at random. Yeah. Tell them once they get up what you're going to do with them. Yeah. Um, Sam, you've mentioned a few hairs that were tucked away. There is this little glimmer yeah. that some will be spared the judgment of God. And we've had a couple of questions about those. So yeah. let's dive in. Thanks for asking your questions again this week. We yeah. love that you are thinking hard about the Bible. So keep doing that. Keep studying it in growth groups. Keep asking as you come along. Uh, Sam, was there no one righteous in Jerusalem? Did God punish everyone? Yeah. What about these few that were spared? Were they righteous or did they just receive mercy? Yeah. Um, so the late, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about the remnant this coming week. So I uh, don't, want, don't want to spoil too much of the remnant, but uh, um, the, the idea is that there are some who are spared from the wrath. The question is, were they spared on the basis of their own righteousness or something in them or purely on the basis of God's mercy? Um, I think the latter. I think mm. purely on the basis of God's mercy. Other parts of the Bible that talk about remnant, they are a righteous remnant, but not this group. Um, mm. So, for example, you think of um, during the time uh, as, as, uh, as Elijah is uh, versus the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel mm. um, in uh, the books of Kings. And 
Elijah's despairing, thinking, I'm the only righteous one left. And God goes, no, no, there's, there's plenty of others who haven't bowed the knee to Baal, a righteous remnant. Mm. Um, so in that time and place, those that God has set apart to keep are righteous, I think in the sense that they haven't worshipped false gods. Um, but in Ezekiel's day, I don't think any of them qualify in that in that uh, category at all. All are under his judgment. Um, and those that are spared are purely, I think, by, by the grace of God. And uh, there's a little uh, clue to that end in chapter 14, um, where if you go to chapter 14, verse 14, um, uh, God's re- reflecting on the famine, and he says, look, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in the city, they could only save themselves by their righteousness. Um, and so... Yeah, it seems to me that um, there, there's nobody that, that anyone who gets spared, it's purely an act of God's mercy. Mm. Yeah. Now, look, I guess feasibly, perhaps there were some who were being faithful to Yahweh. Uh, Ezekiel might have been one of those off in the exile. Yep. But certainly, like you say, in the presentation of Ezekiel and the way it's spoken of, yeah. uh, the focus is on the mercy of God. Yeah. So, yep. No matter how faithful or righteous they might be, they're still. Are yeah. those who need mercy. Yeah, that's uh, right. And we, we will hit that some more in this coming week and yeah, weeks to come. Mm. Someone else has asked on the same topic of this remnant, mm. um, you know, do they experience God's wrath as well? The remnant? Yeah. Um, well, historically, I, I take it yes, um, because the, the siege is happening whether you die in it or not. Mm. Um, and uh, I suspect those, you know, symbolized by the few hairs that get sort of safely tucked away in Ezekiel's cloak, um, that they will experience this uh, this coming wrath of the Babylonian army that God's going to send, but they will um, they will be spared. Um, and so that, they'll go through the siege. It'll, mm. they'll, they'll be hungry. Mm. Um, the, the war will start, and they will somehow escape under the sovereign providence of God, um, but they will still experience the judgment in that sense, in that it will come upon them, but they will they will live. Yeah, they're still cut off from the head, I guess. You know, they're still yeah. shaved hairs. That's and right. At the end of this, there is no city of Jerusalem left. Everyone who is surviving is scattered yep. amongst the nations. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. that's, uh, I guess that's helpful on the question of their righteousness as well. Throughout Ezekiel, there's not a picture that those who survive you know, don't need to change anything about their life. Absolutely. They are amongst those who, Ezekiel will say, need a new heart, a yep. new spirit. Yep. They need to grieve their sin, we'll see in chapter 6. Uh, so they are, yeah, definitely presented as those who need to change from where they are now. Yeah, that's right. They suffer in some way under this punishment. Yeah. yeah. Um, still on this theme of judgment, mm. uh, children. There are yeah. children in the city. Yeah. Uh, they're dying from famine. They're, you know, in chapter five, very confrontingly being eaten by their family. Yeah. Um, actually, on that theme, I've noticed in preparation for this a few places where that comes up through the Old Testament. It's not just in Ezekiel 5. This is yeah. a common thread, yeah. uh, particularly in siege moments. Yeah. Um, talking to someone about that earlier this morning, in fact. Mm. So children are suffering horribly, being yep. eaten by wild beasts. Yep. Can they be held accountable in that way? They're, they're children. Yeah. Are they guilty? You know, what's what's the deal? It's really hard to talk about. It's quite a, a you know, it's a, it's a raw and emotional kind of, yeah, topic. So I, I, I'm, I'm always keen to be careful in my words because, you know, don't want to speak lightly about these things. Mm. And, you know, um, uh, certainly in these 
in, in famines, it is children and old people who fare the worst. Mm. Um, they they tend not to have the fat reserves on board. Like physiologically, um, when a starvation comes, it is often those, those who die um, quickest. So it's awful. Mm. It's just brutal and horrible. And mm. um, it should break our hearts and make us weep that this happens. Mm. Um, and... Uh, the confronting thing is that this happens at the hand of God, mm. um, that, that this is what the Lord has brought upon his people. Yeah. Um, the question here, though, I think is is asking a, a question about guilt and uh, moral responsibility for, a, for an individual, particularly for a child. Mm. Um, and um, uh, I, I guess I've got a couple of things to say on that front. Um, the first one is that we mustn't think that... Uh, now there's there's some shades of grey here, but we, we mustn't think broadly that that anyone under the age of eighteen um, is doesn't have an ability to sin. Um, that actually there is a sense in which all of us in Adam's line um, carry with us this propensity to sin. Mm. Um, and you know, if, um, I'm not sure if this question is put in by someone who has kids or not. Mm. Um, once you have kids, you realise they're evil. Like mm. they're wonderful and beautiful, and I love them and I raise them and I, they're precious to me. But mm. The only thing I never had to teach them how to do was to sin. Mm. I taught them everything else. Mm. They knew nothing, but they somehow they knew that one without me. And uh, it's because of that, because they share my nature, um, mm. which is as a rebel before God and a rebel against their parents. And I never had to teach them how to be, how to be selfish or how to be rude. They just knew how to do yeah. that on their own. Yeah. Um, and so there is a sense that even from a young age, uh, we are culpable. We, are, we, we have a... Um, an ability to be instructed, we are able to stand um, before God and, and um, bear responsibility. Um, so I, I think that's just worth saying. Mm. Um, uh, secondly, I think it's also worth saying that there's a, a collective, a part, of, part of the whole constitution of Israel is that it is a, a national people. Uh, it it is a, a people of descendants and part of the blessing that God promised upon Abraham is that you will have a land and you will have descendants and... Um, you'll enjoy my blessing and in the judgment of God we're seeing the upending of all of those three mm. things so they're about to be booted out of the land Jerusalem is going to fall um, the descendants are being being killed it's awful um, and God's blessing has turned to cursing God's blessing has turned to judgment and so um, there is a sense in which what we have here is the the un, unwinding of the promises at one level uh, to, to mm. the promises haven't failed as we're going to see mm. but but as they're as they've been enjoyed in the land, God is God is uh, upending everything here. Um, it's bringing on the, the curses that the, uh, the, the, he set the out covenant curses that get laid out yeah. uh, both in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. Yeah. Um, uh, there's probably more to say. I, I, I think my head needs a moment to clear, but I don't know, Lachlan. Do you want to pick up any of those thoughts at this point and just uh, throw anything further on here? Look, it's a, uh, depending on who's asking this, mm. actually, depending on who's listening, really, it, mm. it's such a it's such an emotionally tricky question for many. Yeah. Um, some who have, you know, lost children quite young to death. Yeah. Uh, in that context, there's a question: what What do I think about their fate before God? Yeah. What does faith and repentance look like for a child? Yeah. yeah they're some of the broad questions that uh, it would be good to dig into in more detail, perhaps at a different point yeah. and in a different series when we can look broader maybe a stretch night down the track there's some real helpfulness there um, one thing that i think i'd say from just the history of theology yeah. is that infant baptism is not the key to seeing a child 
saved. Yeah. That was, you know, yeah. you go back to Roman Catholicism pre-Reformation. Yeah. Uh, you baptize the child quickly because infant mortality was high. And so if they get baptized, great. Yeah. They're going to be good. Yeah. They're not baptized. Oof. Yeah. You're in trouble. No, that is not, that is not the way that yeah. God works. Um, and, you know, we, we have to trust in many of these questions where there's ambiguity around the judgment of God that his judgment is good and right. Yeah. We might not be able to land on an answer with perfect clarity, yeah. but when we get to that day when Jesus returns in judgment and we see who he determines will be with him for eternity and who he casts away from his presence, yeah. none of us will be saying to him, I think you got that wrong, Jesus. Yeah. We'll be going, yes, that is true and right and just. Correct. So I haven't answered the question there, um, and Christians have disagreed on this across the stretch of theology and history, uh, but it's good to recognise the justice of God. All right, we're and we're back. Sorry about uh, that. I got a phone call. My bad. <laughs> if yeah. we had post production, it would be a nice sound and some transition there, but we don't. Yeah, we're a one take kind of podcast. Yeah, here. indeed. Uh, and we were talking about children. God's judgment, the children of Israel that face this judgment. Uh, and yes, uh, I think there might be one other thing to say here that, you know, today we live in a very individualistic mm. culture. Yep. Uh, Israel and some other cultures, not so much individualistic mm. and family units. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the corporate nature of Israel. Yep. But within that, the family unit was significant. And so mm. there are other places where we see yeah. uh, children caught up in the sin and then the judgment of their parents. Yeah. It is interesting what's happening here. To, to that end though, Ezekiel is going to change change gears on that um, in chapter 18, um, mm. which we'll come to next year. Um, but there is a sense in which the idea of individual responsibility is, is actually going to get introduced. And Ezekiel and Jeremiah both do that as they start mm. to talk about the new covenant. Um, but under this old covenant, there is a sense in which national Israel is being punished as a unit and... Um, Hence, in that sense, all the descendants are caught up in it. Mm. Yeah. If we haven't t- answered the question there, for those who are listening, we will come back to this theme a bit in chapter nine, uh, where children come in again mm. as the kind of those who experience God's judgment. So maybe we can pick it up, and you want to ask something else when we get to there. Yeah. But Sam, let's uh, now move from some of those questions about the interpretation of the passage Great. to some application questions. Uh, first. How is this destruction of Jerusalem tied to hell? Mm. How do we make that link? Uh, is that the same link that can be made of some other kind of current destructive events like the war in Ukraine, mm. uh, the later destruction of Babylon in the Bible? Yep. Are all those equally tied to hell mm. or is there something specific about this destruction of Jerusalem that links it with God's judgment in hell? Well, I think the link I was trying to draw on Sunday was that this is... Uh, explicitly said by God to be his judgment for sin. And mm. I think that is the, the the way that I think I was linking it to hell because that is also what God says will be his explicit judgment for sin just in a, in a bigger and greater way in the New Testament. So li- like many Old Testament ideas, it's a sort of foreshadowing of a bigger version of what is to come later. Mm. Um, the, the theological word for that is typology. It's a, like a prototype, a, an early type. Um, of, of God's judgment. And now it's not the only war, it's not the only siege that ever happened in the Old Testament, but it is the one about which God was very explicit saying, um, this is not by accident, this is because of my mm. judgment. Um, mm. And so in that sense, we can see that we can see in this historical event 
something of the way that God judges, um, which we see in a bigger and more fully developed, more realized way, if you like, to use the theological speak. Um, we see in, in the doctrine of hell that um, that Jesus speaks of and that Revelation 14 um, depicts with such mm. um, sort of clarity. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's something to be said there. So in that sense, I don't think we can say things like the war in Ukraine are necessarily the judgment of God, um, at least in, in anything more than in just a while there is the fallenness of this world that includes wars and the rumors of wars and earthquakes and all mm, those things mm. that Jesus speaks about, because God hasn't given us a direct word to say, hey, learn from this, that this yeah. is my judgment. But whereas with the siege of Babylon, God God speaks and his prophet, his prophet is, is working here so that we don't miss the lesson and we don't miss the warning. And that's you know one of the big things that Ezekiel 5 says is that God does this and he speaks about it so that the people will be warned and even the nations around will be warned mm. um, such that they don't make the same mistake. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's important to separate those things of the general judgment of God from the specific explained judgment of God. Uh, that's something that struck Candy and I in ministry in New Zealand. I turned up in New Zealand not too long after the Christchurch earthquake. Yeah. Uh, and quite publicly and a, a prominent minister in New Zealand had come out soon after the earthquake and said, this is God's judgment on homosexuality in mm. New Zealand, which caused a big fuss in the media. Yeah. Uh, now, he was someone who his flavor of Christianity, he'd had a prophetic word from God saying that, okay. not the biblical word. Yep. Uh, now, I don't think we have those kind of words telling mm. us that specificity of That's what right. a particular event That's right. is in judgment of. Yep. And so we have to say things like earthquakes, things like the war in Ukraine are mm. part of God's judgment, God's wrath being poured out That's right. on a sinful world. But we can't tie it to a specific cause like we can with Jerusalem yep. uh, and the sin of Israel there. That's right. Yeah. Right. Another question. Uh, how, and this one's a really significant and weighty question. Yeah. How, how do we cope with the pain when someone we love dies and mm. they don't know Jesus. Mm. So we know if we trust God's word that this person we love is headed for God's condemnation, mm. punishment in hell. Mm -hmm. How do we how do we cope with that? Look, I, I did speak to this question in afternoon church um, a little bit and it was good to sort of um, hear, hear from the person who, who asked this, but I think it's an important one for us just to... to um, kind of gather up and, and talk mm. about again. So um, thanks, thanks for asking this. Um, a couple of thoughts I have. One is um, it is a grievous thing and it is a, yeah. it, it's an it's a awful thing. There are people in my extended family who are alive who don't know the Lord Jesus. Um, I, I have some, some grandparents who passed away, one who I think did know the Lord Jesus, another who didn't. Mm. Um, two others I'm just not sure about. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's, hard. that's that's awful because I, I love my grandparents and I love mm. those people and mm. the thought for me personally of, of not seeing them in, in glory is a hard thought. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's there's real emotion tied up mm. in this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So, But two things can happen when there's emotion tied up in a, in, in a theological issue is that we can be tempted on the basis of our, of our real and, and powerful emotions to want the Bible to say something different mm. than it does mm. and therefore be tempted to... Um, to, to perhaps shift and change the message, change the gospel even, such that we feel better about those mm. who have died outside of mm. the Lord. And that's where often a big part of 
um, a push towards a universal salvation that everyone it, it will be okay in mm. the end you know god won't let anybody go without dying mm. uh, without so being saved um i just don't think that's true yeah um, and we mustn't in our grief um be susceptible to changing the gospel so that's the first thing to say um, where would you look in the bible for this i find that the parable of the the rich man and lazarus to be very interesting um you know the one that you get the the Lazarus, who was the poor man, had nothing good in this life, uh, sits outside the rich man's door all mm. his life and both die. And then we get sort of this little, it's a parable, but we get this um, uh, little view into them in the afterlife. And they're speaking, you know, and, and the rich man in hell, where he's in torment, is how it's described. He actually then calls out to Father Abraham. He's like, hey, can you send Lazarus down here to give me a drink of water? And Abraham's like, well, no, there's this big. Uh, chasm set between mm. us so there's no crossing from one to the other there's no catholic doctrine of purgatory that where you might come across from one to the other um but more than, then what the rich man says is he goes well send lazarus to tell my brothers so that they too won't come to this place of torment mm. and i think that's really interesting that the the one who's perished and is now in, uh, in under god's judgment in in hell is crying out for world mission they want the gospel mm. to go forward um, mm. in this world so that others don't come to this this place of torment. Um, and so I think we need to then think, well, actually, the best way to honour those that we love who perhaps are under God's judgment is to um, go and preach the gospel to the living um, because such, such that others don't go to that place of torment. Um, that is what they would want. Mm. Um, they now see Jesus as for who he is in all his glory and righteousness. And they think, gosh, what a fool I was for rejecting him. I hope nobody else makes the same mistake. And so I think actually our grief needs to actually steal us towards being missionary minded and thinking, are there people who are alive who don't know the Lord Jesus? And I could tell them and uh, we need to be moved to tell them, I think. Yeah, that's helpful. And look, it's helpful to just say that grief is a process, takes time, uh, and I, you know, I was chatting to a friend a couple of years back who was grieving not this particular issue, but grieving a great loss. Mm. Um, and he made the observation that not only does grief take time, but actually it doesn't stop in this life. Yeah, the grief continues in some form. Yeah. Uh, so that was his reflection as he was processing and yeah, reading on grief. Yeah. He doesn't actually expect his particular grief to end. It will mm. just morph and change, and mm. will be with him in some form mm. for all of his life. Mm. That was a helpful reflection for me in chatting to him. Yep. So, you know, things like this are a great cause of sadness. Yeah. One of the things I, I've i spent time with people in their tears as they wrestle with this idea. Yeah. One of the reflections that came to me, and I, I, I'm reticent to say it because I know I could sound callous in it, but I want to affirm the grief. Jesus has some pretty strong words doesn't he, about saying that if we're to follow him, we must hate our mother and father and brother and sister. Mm. And when he says hate, he doesn't mean emotionally. Yeah. But there's a comparative love thing going on there. There is, that that, that your love for God and the gospel and the, the things of God's kingdom is such that actually it outstrips your your earthly ties and relationships. That I think that's right. And so in the midst of our grief process here for those that we love, there's... Another process going on where our love for God is being stirred and stoked and grown, mm. which is what will lead us on that final day of judgment, as we already said, to say with God, yes, you are right here. Yep. I know that these are people I love that you have judged, but actually, now that I can see the way that that justice 
is deserved, you, you are in the right. So like I said, I don't want to say that sounding calloused and yep. I don't want to lump a further burden onto someone going through the grief in that. Yep. But there is a, another piece in this journey uh, to mm. consider uh, the goodness of Christ and how personal and grievous sin is to him. Yep. Um, there's another piece there. Is that all right? That's really helpful, mate. Thank you. Yeah. All right. A few more questions to go. Let's keep uh, going. If you're still listening, it's a slightly <laughs> longer episode than the last few, yeah. but it's all good stuff to chat through. Um, all right. Babylon, the instrument of God's will and judgment here in Ezekiel. Other prophets pick up the same. Uh, so God's in control here. What about in our life? Is God in control of all of our struggles and joys? How much of life and its messiness is God's neat and tidy plan for us? Hmm. That's the wording of the question, which is quite nice. Yeah. Um, this is a great question, and it gets us thinking, I think, well about the, the sovereignty of God um, and, and uh, over what is God sovereign. And um, hmm. yeah. Um, and, and I think here. Um, I think God is, is, is sovereign over everything um, is, is the short answer. There, there's nothing obviously that falls outside of his uh, out of his control. He says even you know a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground apart from the will of your, uh, my father in heaven. that's what Jesus mm. says. Um, everything's within his control. Um, and so we, there's a sense in which as stuff happens, we know you can't go and say, well, that was plan B and God missed a trick there or God was out of control mm. when that thing mm. happened and uh, that was a mistake. That's not how it works. Um, God is in control. Um, the issue for us that's perhaps slightly different to Ezekiel is, um, and it ties back to our previous answer, um, we're not always told ahead of time what God's will is going to be. Yeah. So we can know that the siege of Babylon was God's specific will and something that he brought for explicit reason of judgment. Um we don't know that about many things. Stuff happens and we look we, we look back with a bit of hindsight. Sometimes time passes enough that you go, oh, I think I know what God was doing there mm. as you look back on things. Other times you're like, I have no idea what God was doing there. But that doesn't mean God was, wasn't in control of it. Um, yeah. I suspect a time will come in the new creation when we can look back and see the tapestry of our lives kind of coming together and go, I get it now. But I, I'm not sure that there's a promise that on this side of glory I'll be able to understand how every mm. single little fabric of that tapestry mm. ties together mm. under God's plan. But I know from his word that it does. Mm. And I can trust him that all the ins and outs of life are his plan. Yeah, which is great comfort, isn't it? Yeah. When life is messy. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's God's neat and tidy plan for our life, you know. It's God's messy plan God's for our life. Yeah, that's right. It's, yeah. But uh, coming together for his good purpose yeah. of, of glory uh, and the the... the honour of Jesus and the, the growth of my Christ-likeness. That's what God's mm. ultimately doing. Mm. Yeah, It's a great thing that we, we could talk more about. And again, sometime down the track, we need to come back to that yeah. idea and the impact on decision-making and guidance, all of that all stuff. All those things, yep. But let's move on to our last couple of questions. Yeah, great. Uh, Sam, on Sunday, you mentioned as kind of one example, it was actually a really helpful example you quoted from a book, uh, what was the book called? The One Hundred. Yeah, the One Hundred. Yeah, that. not the TV show. That's awesome, but the, <laughs> but the book, uh, the book, the One Hundred. Yeah, uh, about you know in, influential people in history, yep. and you mentioned that um, one of the teachings of Jesus was to love our enemies, yep. and the author of this book said he he just doesn't see people doing that. Yeah, and so someone's asked, well, what would it look like to actually love? our enemies to love someone who's wronged us. Yeah. That can be hard. Yep. It is. 
That's why I think many of us don't do it. Mm. Um, <laughs> hence Michael Hart's point. Um, we go, that's really hard. What an interesting idea. Wouldn't it be beautiful if people do that, but that's too hard. Mm. Uh, and that's the challenge I think that that book puts before us to say, well, do we believe Jesus or not? Um, uh, I, I'd say a couple of things. One, look to God because that's what he does. God came to die for his enemies and you must be bewildered by the generosity, the, the, the reckless generosity of God in that, that he sent his son to die for his enemies. Mm. That is just insane. Mm. Um, and it's painful and awful. And Jesus cried and wept and paid an enormous price for a bunch of people who you know, mocked him as he mm. did it. Um, that, that's God. That's the God that you love and worship. And so um, it's at the center of everything that we, that we believe and hold to be good. Um, where it gets really hard is then, well, uh, Jesus says, anyone who will be my disciple needs to pick up their cross mm. and come and follow me, which, which I think kind of captures that very idea of, you know, do things like loving your enemy, be, be sacrificial, forgive people who've wronged you, um, turn the other cheek, give mm. away your cloak. You know, mm. all those images go, go the extra mile. We say that, you know, um, but, but that mean and, and do that not just for your friend, but for your enemy. What a, what a remarkable thought. Um, it's hard to press too much further than that, isn't it? Because every yeah. situation of this will be different. It will depending be. on the nature of your enemy and what they're doing to yep. you. Yep. It takes me back to some of my high school days when I had many enemies, also known as bullies. Yep. Um, yep. You know, and, I had some of them too. Part of this looked like me as a young Christian going, well, I don't respond to that bully by uh, kind of punching them back or whatever. But yep. actually, Jesus' encouragement, bless those who persecute you. Yeah. Uh, and he gonna... puts it, well, one, one practical thing that God puts on it in his word is he says, love your enemies and pray for those who yeah. persecute you. Yeah. So one really practical way to, to, to think about this is, and a way to bless someone who is your enemy, is to put them on your prayer list mm. and pray that God would do good things for them mm. and bless them. Mm. So, you know, even if you can't yet speak to them or have a conversation mm. with them or mm. do something because there's too much raw hurt, you can pray for them. And in fact, you are commanded to pray for them. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's quite hard to do. Yeah. 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 It might not be easy emotionally, but yeah. I think it's something that as you start it, it will become easier yeah. over time because God works yep. in our hearts to yep. change and transform us. We're not yep. doing this alone. Yep. It's his spirit. Yep. He, he gives us what he commands, right? Yeah. He transforms us to do what he asks us to do. Yep. So starting to pray will... I, I remember talking with a friend of mine, a, a close friend of mine a few years back who was struggling with somebody in particular, um, who they felt had really wronged them. And we talked about this idea of praying for those. And mm. uh, as part of our conversation as brothers in Christ, we, we said, I said in the challenge of, why don't you start praying regularly for this person? Just, you know, once a week, once a month, whatever it is, pray for mm. them regularly. As fascinating as we kept talking about that in, in the months and time that followed, he said two things happened. One, the issue was resolved and two, God changed his heart mm. more than he, than he felt like he changed anything to do with the enemy, that he mm. no longer felt the resentment and the bitterness that he felt because God actually changed his own heart as he started to love that person, mm. um, even though some, even though a wrong had been committed, Yeah, um, yeah. which I found really interesting just from a sort of someone who tried it and gave it a go. Um, it, it was actually a, a really good thing to do. Yeah, that's yeah. really helpful. Um, like I say, every situation will be different here. And if you want some more particular counsel on a particular enemy that you've got as you listen, yep. do reach out. Sam or I would be happy to chat. Any of the other pastors, your growth group leader, your team leader in whatever. So like, 
reach out and talk about this. Mm. It's good to have someone that is understanding with you the enmity that you're facing. Yep. Uh, and is able to pray with you and for you. Yep. Uh, as you work out what this is going to look like practically. Yep. So do, do reach out because the specific situation, you can't you can't change what your enemy is doing. You know? No, that's right. That's part of the nature of human life and relationships. We can't actually change someone else's behavior, yep. but we can change our own reactions and responses to that behavior. Yep. And actually, in your example, as we do that, so much can change about the situation. That's right. So we can't force the change in someone else, yep. but we do have to look at what we're doing and how we're... Responding, yeah, to what's and I think on that, like, sorry, I know we've got we probably need to wrap up shortly, but um, I think one of the things that's really helpful to recognize is that forgiving someone in your heart and praying for an enemy is different to being reconciled to them, yeah. Um, reconciliation can't really take place until they've come to you and apologized yeah. and asked for your forgiveness, then you can be reconciled and be restored to good mm, relationship. Mm. Um, but you can forgive, I think, in your heart and actually seek good and seek to bless someone who still hasn't apologized mm. um, now again this can be really hard and there's lots mm. of caveats particularly i think around abusive situations mm. yeah, and those yeah. kind of things yep. right. um, but i think it's worth just noting the difference between being reconciled to someone and restored back into friendship and, and mm. relationship and uh the idea that it, they may still be um in them they might be hardened against you but that doesn't mean that you can't in your heart forgive them and pray mm. for them and bless them mm. yeah yeah that's great uh, last question, Sam. One of the other things you talked about on Sunday was our affluence in Sydney, our wealth, our comfort. Yep. Uh, you mentioned that that might be something of an idol for us, perhaps. Yeah. How do we, how do we get shaken out of the apathy that we might have towards our affluence? Yeah. I think this was the most asked question on Sunday mm. by far, and both in terms of the, the the questions coming through the text line and just personal conversations I had, and I think others had as well. Mm. So. I'm glad to hear that we're thinking about this. People, uh, someone emailed me and said, "Look, it really struck a chord with our with our group as as we were talking about it afterwards." Thanks for raising it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, how how do we shake it out? Um, I, th- I think it's got to be the word of God that does it at the end of the day. Um, and part of what I hope Ezekiel will do for us is to show us that uh, we can't muck around with sin. And uh, mm. I think greed um, is is a sin. Um, and I don't think yes, it is. It, it, is, it, is. A, it is a sin. <laughs> yes. God says it says it so. Um, and uh, it's become, I think, a respectable sin, uh, to use that language, something mm. that we, we know the big, bad, ugly ones, you know, um, sexual sin or lust or, um, you know, uh, violence, um, good things to be um, on guard against. But greed is something that I think we, we often um, give permission for each other and, you know, you don't call me out on mine and I won't call you out mm, on yours. Mm. And um, we'll all just look at each other and think, well, they got this and I've got that and it's probably square and it's all okay. Mm. Um, greed is an insidious uh, insidious sin. It, it, um, in Colossians, Paul says it's idolatry. Um, yeah. it's, it's, and God talks about you can't worship both God and money. You just, you're either going to love one and hate the other yep. um, or serve one and not the other. You know, it's just... Um, so we, we can't... We've, we've got to let God's word do its thing and, um, yeah, be, um, uh, be the law, the, be, let him be Lord over our life. Um, I had an old youth leader who said on that uh, passage, you can't ride two horses with one bum. You've got to pick which horse you're going to be on. Right? It's a very vivid image. It's stuck with me to, the de- to this day. There you go. God or money. Which yep. one? That's exactly with? right. Um, so money's a big part of it. Um, 
I, I think, uh, and, and greed for it, greed for comfort, greed for ease, greed, mm. greed for um, possessions, uh, all, all these things. Um, sometimes it also goes beyond that into experience that I think is a big part of the, the way we now express our wealth. Um, so you may not have yeah. a lot of stuff, but you've, you've collected experiences or yeah. travel or yeah. uh, these, these kind of things. Um, uh, but, but they're all, I think, a, a way of consuming more for the self. Um, and we, we've got to be very wary of it. Mm. Um, so mm. first thing is, I think, to listen to God's word. Yeah. Um, thing is, plenty to say. I, I think we've got, to, we've got to ask for some accountability. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we were discussing before this, I think um, money is this kind of thing that culturally as well, we live in, a, in, in an Australian culture where money is very much a private matter. Um, it's a bit rude to ask someone how much mm. they earn. It's also a bit, a bit rude to ask someone how much they spent on something. Uh, it's a bit rude uh, to ask how much someone gives. Um, and sometimes we bring some theological baggage with that, you know, when Jesus says, don't let your left yeah. hand know what your right yeah. hand's doing. Um, uh, but I think sometimes, therefore, we can hide, therefore, with an, an anonymous greed, which because nobody's actually um, interrogating mm. one part of our life mm. when we're happy for people to interrogate all other parts of our life, but we just feel like it's culturally inappropriate to talk about that. Um, yep. So I think there's a sense in which if we want to be disciples of the Lord Jesus, we need to get over that. And recognize that I think in our tribe, the last bit of a human being to get converted is their hip pocket. That's the last thing, mm. that, the last bit of the body over the line, you know. Um, and so uh, I'm all for transparency on that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's really helpful. Um, when Sophia and I did marriage prep many years ago now, we were challenged by the couple who um, prepared us for marriage. One of the top weeks they did with us was on you know, budgeting and finance, and they they shared with us their giving. Um, they shared with us uh, their budget, how much they gave, who they gave to, and they, they set it up for us. They, they had like a what, what they called a giving portfolio. You know, most people have a stock portfolio. They had a giving portfolio, no, like the yeah. church, their couple of ministry workers, yeah. some mission activities, you know, different things that they gave to some kids that they sponsored, and uh, they budgeted that in as the first thing that went in every year, and they pushed themselves to increase it. And I'm pretty sure by the time they were preparing us for marriage, they were... Um, their giving was somewhere in the order of 15, 16%. Um, mm. That really shocked us into action because we mm. just hadn't, we just were nowhere near that at the time. And uh, our giving was hopeless. Like I think I was given 50 bucks a week or something mm. like that when I was earning, I was earning good money at the time, yep. you know, and um, 50 bucks a week was, was not a lot of it. Um, and, uh, but I sort of felt like that was enough, you know, mm. but no one had mm. ever challenged me on it. Mm. And, um, uh, so I, we found that helpful. It pushed us to have conversations and it's caused us in our marriage to have, you know, one of our sort of start of the year conversations each year is what, what are our goals this year? What are we going to sort of seek to do together? And a big part of that is, well, how are we going to finance it? And one of our goals is always, how can we be generous? Yeah. How are we going to grow as generous people this year? Um, can we push ourselves and not just because we're earning more this year, but can we actually push ourselves and give a bit more? Um, who could we give to? What could we support? Mm. Um, for us, our first port of call is our church. It's where we get, uh, we are cared for and loved and encouraged here at St. Paul. So that's the biggest part of our giving. Um, but we have, you know, some AFES workers, three compassion kids, uh, a bunch of other things that we give towards as well. Um, we've, we've done pledge forms and we gave some special, you know, some of the um, extra things that church was asking for. We, we want to contribute generously to those mm. things. And we want to push ourselves to say, can, can, we, can we make it a little bit further than we did last year? because um, this is important to us yeah. Um, yeah there you go that's a bunch of thoughts from me what um no thanks Sam. that's great i i'm struck as we start to talk about this that uh in the herald again 
today, yesterday, there was an article, second one I've seen this year, yep. um, just talking about financial literacy for young people in Australia. I saw that. I took the quiz. Yeah. Yeah. Did you take the quiz? I got 18 out of 21. Okay. Yeah. I haven't taken this new yeah. one yet. I took the first one, which was only five questions. Ah, right. And I got four out of five. So. Oh, there you go. Well, similar. similar <laughs> right. That's good. That's good. Yeah. But I think it's worth saying for our young listeners, like we're talking about a budget. Yeah. You might have never have set one up. Yeah. And so that can make it hard to think about generosity and greed. Yep. Because you just don't know where your money's going. Totally. And so the first step is actually to track that spending in some way. Absolutely. To then be able to set up your budget of where you would like that money to be going. Yep. So some financial literacy is helpful. Yep. Uh, I Again, when I was in New Zealand in ministry, I did Christians Against Poverty, their mm. money course. Not because I was in poverty. Yeah. Uh, one, I was looking to be set up to kind of run that course. Mm-hmm. But gosh, I found it helpful. I was already budgeting before then, mm. but it gave me some more helpful tools. Yep. And so there are things out there to help you learn about budgeting. Yep. And that might be a next step yep. for some of our listeners Absolutely. to actually think about where their money is going and then where they want it to go yep. instead. But again, um, yeah, like you, accountability is helpful. And I had a young guy that I, I say young, we were the same age at the time. Uh, <laughs> we were peers meeting up one-to-one to read the Bible. And as yep. part of that, we decided we'd open up our budgets to one another. Yeah. Yeah, can you have a look at this and oh, tell me what you think as you yep. see it? Yep. And we, we just looked at that and that was helpful to see giving, but also to see what we're spending money on outside mm. of the giving. Mm. And one of the things I try to do in my budget and in my tracking of spending, which I still do, yep. um, is be clear on things that I'm spending money on that are, are needs yep. and things that are wants. Mm. Very helpful. Doesn't mean that I never spend things money on things that I want. Yep. But gosh, I find it helpful to ask that question each time. Yeah. Is this something I need or something I want? Yeah. Uh, and to try to reduce yep. some of the want yeah. as I can to be able to be generous to other things. Yeah. There are a couple of things. There's so much I could say. I spent a year reading good books on greed and on money and yep. on Christian theology around this. Yep. Um, there was one other thing I wanted to share, but now I've forgotten what it was. That's and right. I haste to say those things. Yes. Um, can, can I add one thing that's not so much connected to money? Yeah. Because um, I think the other thing is, um, the bigger part of the affluence piece is actually what do you want out of your life? Um, mm. And I think we want to let, again, God's word set the vision for what, mm. what life's all about. And I think one of the things that Ezekiel is showing for us is just the, the serious nature of the wrath of God coming upon the world. Um, and a big part of what our what our what we've been entrusted with as Christians is the the work of sharing the gospel. And uh, and I think one thing that if you want to be um, sort of changing lanes and not being on the affluence pathway, um, ch- change what's most important to you. Um, our world says it's career followed by or, or, or maybe career in order to serve um, enjoyment slash recreation. Um, w- what if you know? Um, your your role serving in church was actually one of the most important things mm. in, in your calendar of the week and actually you were planning and sort of scheming how you can sort of free up more time in order to serve more people in the gospel um, and, and actually you know reorganizing life such that that the gospel work that you're part of whether that's in your serving team or in the way that you meet up with people or um, whatever it is that you you're involved in but actually kind of getting more opportunities to do that um because that's what you're chasing because that's Mm. that's how you follow your lord jesus rather than chasing what the world is chasing Mm. Mm. um and a little plug for an event we got a we got a um little weekend coming up in in about two and a half weeks time called build for eternity which is all about thinking about this very thing yeah love you to come and be part of it if, if that'd be helpful yeah that'd be a great weekend 
Um, I remember the thing I was going to say. Excellent. Go for it. Which is... Closing thought. Uh, part of what I found an issue in this question of greed and affluence and comfort um, has come from just cultural drift. And we live in a society, so mm. it's actually hard individually to think about stuff here. Yeah. But one thing to do can be to expand our moral imagination by reading some history mm. of what people have done in the past or... I mean, you expanded your moral imagination by hearing from the people who did marriage prep with you yeah. of what was possible. Yep. So we actually need to see some examples of what could be possible in this realm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think of the story of one of the Wesleys, right, who mm. set his uh, living amount that he needed early on in his career. Yep. And then as he earned more across time, just yep. gave the rest away. Yeah. You know, there's a story that if yeah. I haven't heard it, I can't imagine doing that. Yeah, that's Now, I've right. heard it. There's a possibility for me. Mm. Another example would be a book called Gospel Patrons. I don't know mm. if you've ever seen that one, Sam. I haven't read it, no. It's a book that's around... Um, it's actually a, a bit of a movement that's set up by an Aussie guy in partnership with someone in the UK who kind of picked up the historical idea of patronage mm. and went, if you've got a bit of wealth and backing and kind of mm. business before you've come to Christ or just in your history and you have sizable amounts of wealth, Mm. think about projects that you can, you can be a patron for. Yeah. So Tyndale in his translation of the Bible, mm. he did great work there, but the spreading of that came mm. because it was funded. Yep. And someone said, I'm going to back that and yep. put the money there. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a great book that gives examples of that kind of patronage. A nice idea. So ways that we can expand our imagination mm. of what's possible. Like Phoebe in Romans 16, kind of bank, mm. bankrolling Paul's work. Yeah. 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 There you go. Sam, thanks for the chat this afternoon. We've gone a bit longer than earlier episodes. All good. Uh, I hope people are still listening at this point. Um, this coming Sunday, we've got a bit of a break from Ezekiel. We do. We'll be uh, on Sunday in Carlingford with Compassion, which is going to be a great time. Yep. North Rock celebrating 20 years Praise as God. a church. What a great celebration that will be. Uh, and then the week after that, we'll be back in Ezekiel chapter 6. So we'll catch you guys on the podcast in a couple of weeks. All right. See you then.